Folks, it is the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Amen? So be excited because there's a lot of things that are going to be happening this coming year. And it's extremely important because where there is no vision, the people what? The people perish. And so it's very important we keep a vision before us. We are not to continue just as we are. God wants us constantly to grow, to change, and to become um, everything he wants us to be in accordance to his will. Amen? And I'm really excited. I see so many things happening in series. It's awesome. But folks, I want to know what God would have us to do. I want to know what he wants us, wants us to do. It's very important as we study his word that we grow together as a church, that we are unified under one purpose, and that is to see the gospel go out and to bring as many people into the kingdom. Can you say amen to that? Amen. All right. Name of the sermon today is called what? Plaguing Pharaoh. Do you remember what yesterday's or last week's sermon was about? It was about what? Exodus what? Excuses. And we learned about Moses and the five excuses he made before God. Now we're going to continue in that journey. Last week we learned about how God overcame every single objection of Moses. And at that moment, after this all this conversation was done, the Bible says something about Moses. He took the rod of God. It was no longer a rod, a regular rod used for shepherding. It was now called the rod of God. And he, with boldness and just filled with the Holy Spirit, went on his way to confront the mighty Pharaoh, the mightiest man in the mightiest nation with the mightiest army. He went there to confront him because God had laid a special mission before Moses, and that was to free the what? Whose people? His people. Let my people go. And we learned about Revelation chapter 18. What's God's call? To come out of Babylon who? My people. And God is giving us the same call that he gave to Moses, right? So now we're going to pick up in this story, and next week we're going to learn about the Exodus also. We're going to finish this series next week. Now let's pick up the story where Moses has now taken the rod of God in his hands and he's ready, he's ready to make this journey to see Pharaoh. Now, before we go any further, I want to share something also with you. I've been doing some, uh, I've been having some communication with several premier archaeologists of the church. I've been talking with Dr. Hazel and I've also uh, looked at some of the material of Dr. William Shea, who's a retired Adventist seminary professor. And these guys are top-notch in their profession, written several books, and they're Bible-believing Christians. Can you say amen to that? Bible-believing Christians. And uh, actually yesterday I had a very interesting discussion with Dr. Hazel regarding the Exodus pharaohs. Now we learned last week, um, there is the first pharaoh who was the Hebrew baby killer, and that was Tutmosis I. Then we learned about his son, Tutmosis II, and his wife, who was who? Hatshepsut. That's exactly right. But Tutmosis II died, and she took over as Pharaoh. Now, did she have any natural-born son? She did not. She had no natural-born male children. In fact, the next Pharaoh that came on the scene was Tutmosis III, She had no natural-born sons. This is why when you're reading the scripture, you see this woman who's walking along the river with her servants, and she sees the baby Moses. And she wants to adopt the baby Moses. And what takes place now, it's very interesting. This is something that comes purely out of an Adventist perspective, but makes sense when you look at the biblical archaeology. And that is... When you read Patriarchs and Prophets, she makes it very clear that Moses was not just meant to be the prince of Egypt, that the Pharaoh and 
his daughter wanted him to be the next Pharaoh. They wanted him to be the next Pharaoh. But he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, Hebrews says. He refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He rejected it because she says, even further in the, in the chapter about Moses, that they would require him to bow down to Egyptian idolatry. Think about that. Do you know what a Pharaoh would be considered? God. Moses was rejecting this. He knew that to become a Pharaoh, he would be worshipped as God. He rejected a chance that he could be God on earth or considered God on earth. And so when he rejected that, he went to try to free the brethren. But it didn't end up right. And so he ends up fleeing into the desert. It's very interesting, though, as I was talking with Dr. Hazel, he was describing how Moses' adopted mom, or his uh, Hashefzad, when you look at all of her images, they have been marred. And this is something that takes place when you look at Egyptian archaeology. When there is an embarrassment or there's a change of religion, what the current pharaoh does. He goes back into the annals of history and he completely mars the previous pharaohs. For some reason, when you look at her, all the artifacts, they've been marred. Egyptian society does not record embarrassing things. They do not record humiliation. Actually, Dr. Hazel was telling me that they would not even record a single defeat. They could not find a single defeat in all of Egyptian history. But for some reason, when you look at a lot of her stuff, it's been marred. Then we also learned about the Pharaoh who took over. This Pharaoh was not her natural-born son. This was actually the son of a concubine with the, the, uh, Tutmosis II. Now, this is where it gets very interesting. He proposed a theory to me, Dr. Heisel, that I've not heard before. He says this, that some scholars believe... That when you look at this Pharaoh, when you look at all his campaigns, when you're looking at all the things that he was doing, he says there has been speculation that this Pharaoh was looking for somebody. The question is, who was he looking for? Well, I'll let you try to figure that one out. Because there was a threat to his throne. Very interesting. We learned a little bit about this Pharaoh and the hardness of his heart prior to the time that Moses came on the scene to free the children of Israel. Tutmosis III was the son of the former Pharaoh and a lesser-known concubine. He eventually started to reign after the death of Shefzad. He was called the Napoleon of Egypt and was known for his extensive military campaigns. He was also called Egypt's greatest conqueror because of his capture of 350 cities during his raid. Archaeology reveals that this Egyptian society boasted of his abilities as the greatest warrior of his own army. And you want to know this, something that's very interesting, and we talked about this last week. When they have excavated his mummy, the results of the excavation have shown that this is not a 55-year-old mummy. It was the mummy of a 40-year-old. He was telling me yesterday when I was talking with him, Dr. Hazel, he was telling me that Egyptian society had a belief that if they did not have a proper burial with an actual body, the pharaoh would not make it to the afterlife. And he says, the theory is that the Egyptian soldiers, when they came to the sea, they could not find the pharaoh, so they just grabbed another body and stuck it in there. And that's why when they actually did scans on the actual body, they found it to be 15 years younger than the age of that pharaoh, when it, what it should have been. 
It's very interesting when you're seeing all these things taking place and the biblical understanding of these things. Folks, it's really exciting as, you know, I've had the privilege to be able to study this out. Next week, I'm going to have another conversation with him. We're going to be talking about next week's sermon, the crossing of the Red Sea. Should be very interesting. Don't miss it. Don't miss it. Now we're going to continue with our journey of Moses. He's been given the rod of God. He's been empowered by God. He's ready to confront Pharaoh. So as he and his wife and other child begin to make their way to Pharaoh, everybody take your Bible and turn to Exodus chapter 4. Exodus chapter 4, verse 24. Moses has been sent by who to go confront Pharaoh? God. Who sent him? God has sent him. God has empowered him. God has overcome his objection. God has equipped him. God is the one who is behind this calling. But something interesting takes place as the children of Israel, or excuse me, as Moses is traveling to see Pharaoh. We're going to Exodus chapter 4, verse 24. Are we all there? That's page 55 in your seminar Bibles. Look what the Bible says. And it came to pass at the encampment that the Lord met him and sought to what? Kill him. Who's him? Moses. Now let's just think about this for just a second. Who was God sending to Egypt? Moses. So was Moses following the commands of God, yes or no? Absolutely. He was saying, God, you called me to do this, I'm going to do this. So as him, his wife, and their child, they begin to make their way to Egypt, all of a sudden the Bible says the Lord was wanting to kill Moses. Now you're scratching your head, you're thinking to yourself, wait a minute, that doesn't make any sense. Well, let's continue a little bit more. Then Zephorah took a sharp stone and coughed the foreskin of her son and cast it at whose feet? Moses' feet and said to him, Surely you are a husband of blood to me. So he let him go. Then she said, You are a husband of blood to me because of the circumcision. Now this is extremely important for us to think about, okay? All of a sudden, as Moses and his family are making their way to Egypt, an angel of the Lord stands there with a drawn sword, and he's looking at Moses with not the best look. And he's looking like he's going to kill Moses. Now, it just skips over to Zephora's reaction. She knows what she needs to do. What is it that she needs to do? She needs to circumcise her child. Now, when you look at that, you're thinking to yourself, wait a minute, something's unusual about this. It is. You see, this is extremely important for us to understand that Moses, something was being neglected in the life of Moses. And God was confronting Moses before he can go confront Pharaoh. Something was being vastly neglected and that was the right of circumcision. And you know that they knew this because instantly when they see the angel, all of a sudden Zephora knows what to do. They know what they've been neglecting. In fact, the book Patriarchs and Prophets says that Zephorah was the reason why Moses had not done the circumcision. And because of that, God was saying, you are not going to do this until you make it right. You know what this is very important to us to understand about? You know what principle is very important? That revival starts at the home. Can you say amen to that? That revival starts at the home with the family. Like God is calling us. He's like, before you can go help people outside your home, you need to make sure there is nothing being neglected in your home. Can you say amen to that? So God calls us to make sure that things are right at the family, with the family. Can you say amen to that? In fact, look what Ellen White says right here. It's very interesting. In his mission to Pharaoh, Moses was to be placed in a position of great peril. What's the word peril mean? Danger. His life could be preserved only through the protection of holy angels. But while living in neglect of a known duty, he would not be what? 
secure. He would be vulnerable to Satan. Because if Moses had an area of his life that where he was being disobedient, guess what? Satan had property. And if Satan had property, Satan had the right to do whatever he wanted on that property. And so God confronted Moses and says, Moses, this is so serious that if my angel does not stop you here, you're going to be destroyed in Egypt and you will destroy the mission that we have planned. Folks, this is extremely important for us to understand that revival starts at the home. And we need to make sure that our children have the best possible knowledge of Jesus Christ. Can you say amen to that? If we haven't dedicated our children to the Lord, something's wrong. If we have not dedicated our children to the Lord, something is wrong. Can you say amen to that? It should be an absolute priority for parents, grandparents, to make sure that their children are not being neglected spiritually. You absolutely need to do this. It is so important that God sent an angel to kill Moses. Folks, are we as a church family neglecting family worship? Are we neglecting to bring our children before the altar every night and having a time of worship? Folks, if we're neglecting that, we shouldn't be so surprised when our children start developing into sons and daughters of disobedience. If you are disobedient with your family, you know what's going to happen? You are giving Satan property. And where he has property, he has the right to do whatever he wants. Folks, this is extremely important for us to understand. Moses needed to understand it, and it was so important that God sent an angel ready to take him out because he knew that if Moses went there, the mission could have been destroyed and the results could have destroyed, can be so devastating, it would have destroyed the mission and it would have led the children of Israel backwards years. There was so much at stake. So Moses does this. Zephora does it. She knows what she does, and you can kind of see the bitterness in her tone. She throws it right at the feet of Moses, and she said, you're a bloody husband. She doesn't quite understand what's going on, but she knows this has been neglected by her and Moses. So this, they take care of this, and they get there. And sure enough, Moses and Aaron begin to confront the Pharaoh. Now I want you to see something. Take your Bible, go to Exodus chapter 5, verse 1 and 2. Bless you. Exodus chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Are we all there? Now I want you to see something. This is the first encounter with Moses and Aaron and Pharaoh. Afterward, Moses and Aaron went in and told Pharaoh, Thus says the who? Lord God of who? Israel. Now, did Pharaoh believe in gods, yes or no? He believed in gods. He didn't believe in the Lord God, though. Now notice that. There is an adjective given over the word God, and what is that adjective? Lord God. You know what God, Moses is saying to Pharaoh? There is a God who's, a king over, who's king over everybody. Now watch Pharaoh's response. It's very interesting. Thus says the Lord God, let my people go that they may hold a feast for me in the wilderness. And Pharaoh said, who is the what? The Lord. Now notice this. He doesn't say, who's God? Because he already believes in God. The question is, who is this Lord you're talking about? The only Lord I know is who? Himself. Now you're going to see something very interesting right here. That I should obey his voice and let Israel go. I do not know the Lord, nor will I what? Let Israel go. They confronted this Pharaoh and they said, there is a God who is a God above all other gods and he wants you to let his people 
go. Now, I'm going to ask a question. Pharaoh has an attitude problem. Can you say amen to that? He asks a very interesting question. He says, who is the what? Lord, do you know that phrase appears one other time in Scripture? Does anybody know where it appears? It only appears in one other time in Scripture. Someone is saying, who is the Lord? It's not even describing an actual person. It's describing a type of person. In other words, the Bible is saying, and what I'm going to show you in this next verse, individuals that talk like that and say, who is the Lord? And the reason why, we're going to understand how Pharaoh became Pharaoh in his mind. Take your Bible and go to Proverbs chapter 8. I want you to see something. Proverbs chapter 8. I'm sorry, Proverbs chapter 30, verse 8. Let's start with verse 7, actually. Are we all there? Page 635. Now, I want you to see something right here. It's very important. Two things I request of you. Deprive me not before I die. Remove falsehood and lies from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Now, watch this. Feed me with the food allotted to me, lest I be full and deny you and say, do you know what the Bible is connecting to this phrase, who is the Lord? The sin of gluttony. In other words, the Bible is making it very clear. The people who talk like that are individuals who commit gluttony. Now you're thinking to yourself, wait a minute, but how do we know the Pharaoh committed gluttony? Does anybody know what gluttony is? It's overeating. Now, are you saying to yourself and now, are you saying to us that gluttony leads to this? No, gluttony it leads to uh, greater sin. Remember what I said? Bigger dinners, bigger sinners. Now, I'm going to make a case to prove this point right now. I want you to pay attention to this. When you look at the history of Egypt prior to the time of this pharaoh, when there was a famine, where did they go to to find food? The whole world. Egypt, because Egypt was what? Known for its stockpile of food. When the children of Israel were 40 years in the desert and they were complaining about the diet God was putting them on, where did they want to go? Back to Egypt. Over and over again. And by the way, when you look at the plagues, you want to know what plagues were most devastating to the Egyptian counselors? It wasn't even the death of the firstborn. You want to know what it was? It was the plague that destroyed their livestock and the plague that destroyed their crops. Do you want to know what livestock and, livestock and crops equals? Food. Food was so important to the Egyptian culture. But you can imagine Pharaoh, he had Thanksgiving dinner for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And midnight snack also. And what took place is that all this food would just leave him just not able to think right and to be full of himself. Literally. And folks, when someone can't think right, they become vulnerable to Satan. You know, Ellen White said something very interesting. She said she was shown a vision. And this is very important. It's for us to study out for ourselves. And she says this. It is that important that God actually had to show her in a vision that the people of God eat too much. Folks, if you think appetite is not connected to your spirituality, why don't you ask Eve that question when you see her in heaven one day? So you see a problem right here. You see Pharaoh has some problems, and his attitude began to develop. He began to think he was bigger than anybody else and greater than anybody else. And so when Moses talks to him, he said, I don't know this Lord. I don't know him. And so the first confrontation took place. Now watch what happens in that same passage. Let's keep going. Back to Exodus chapter 4. Five, excuse me. Verse two. And Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, nor will I what? 
Let Israel go. Now watch verse 3. So he said, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please let us go three days journey into the desert and sacrifice to the Lord our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence and with the sword. Watch verse 4. It's very key. And 5. Then the king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why do you take the people from their what? Work. Get back to your labor. And Moses, excuse me, and Pharaoh said, look, the people of the land are many now, and you make them rest for what? All their what? Now, the word rest is a very important word. Do you want to know what it means? It's the word Shabbat. In other words, this word is always connected to Sabbath keeping. Always connected to Sabbath keeping. You know what was beginning to take place? A revival among Sabbath keepers. It was generally being disregarded because of the Egyptian slavery that was taking place. Sure, there was a little bit of flexibility, but as these people begin to revive with the message of Moses and with Aaron, they begin to keep the Sabbath. And Pharaoh was alerted to this. Now pay attention to this. A controversy took place regarding the Sabbath, and then what happened? Ten plagues. As we look forward to the end of time, we're going to see a controversy develop around the Sabbath, and then we're going to see the outpouring of the plagues later on. Now this is extremely important for us to understand, and we're going to, help, we're going to, help, uh, we're going to learn more about this as we continue. Now everybody, I want you to see something. Look at this. Plagues are catastrophic events designed to communicate a powerful message to people. They generally begin softly with minimum human casualties and less property damage, but as they continue, they become more powerful and more severe. These ten plagues are an attack not just on the Egyptian belief system, this is very important, this point, but specifically targeting Pharaoh's own what? Heart. By the way, when you read the last plague, God tells Pharaoh, I'm sending these plagues to your heart. See, God's concern was not so much about destroying this false belief, but he was destroying the areas where Pharaoh would not budge, where he put his heart. When God asked the young rich ruler to give up his treasure, God didn't want the treasure. There was something in that treasure. And I love what Scott Wendt was showing. What was in the treasure? His heart. And Pharaoh's heart was in Egypt and making sure his kingdom was secure, that he was willing to go to any lengths to make sure that was going to stay that way. And so God began a calculated destruction of each aspect. But God started off mercifully. He knew the only way to convince Pharaoh to release the children of Israel would be through trial. And I'm going to show you some very interesting, interesting things regarding these plagues. Now watch what Ellen White says right here. It's very interesting. Found in Patriarchs and Prophets regarding why God was sending the plagues. God was not just attacking Pharaoh's own heart. Look what she says. It's very interesting. It was so powerful I felt it needed to be up there. The Hebrews had expected to obtain their freedom without any special what? Trial of their faith or any real suffering or hardship. But they were not yet prepared for what? Now that's important. In other words, why there was a development in the plagues is because who was not ready? It wasn't just the Pharaoh who was not ready. The Israelites themselves. Now look what else she says. They had little faith in God and were unwilling patiently to endure afflictions until, they should see, until he should see fit to work for them. Now this is very important. Many were content to remain in bondage rather than meet the difficulties attending removal to a strange land. And the habits of some had become so much like those of the Egyptians that they preferred to dwell where? Where did the people want it to stay? 
When they were walking through the desert, where do they want to keep going? Do you realize God was not trying to just take care of Egypt? He was trying to destroy the Egyptian in their heart. He was trying to stop that from, taking, or from growing any further, and he was trying to stop it. Folks, the plagues were designed to, to communicate a message to the Israelites. We don't want to stay here anymore. Do you know God's difficulty in trying to get a people, a group of people from earth ready for heaven? Do you know what God's major problem is? They want to stay here. They want to stay here. In fact, these Israelites had become so much like the Egyptians. They were Egyptian. And God was trying to free them out of Egypt. Spiritual Egypt as well. Before God can take all his people home, you notice that there are these last seven plagues that take place and the children of Israel are seeing this or God's people are seeing this and they realize we don't want to be here anymore. This is extremely important for us to understand as we're looking at this story. Now I want you to see what happens next. God sends Aaron and Moses back to Pharaoh. Take your Bible, go to Exodus chapter 7, verse 14. I'm going to go through this rather rapidly. Page 57, are we all there? So the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is what? Hard. He refuses to let the people go. Go to Pharaoh in the morning. When he goes out by the water, you shall stand by the river's bank to meet him. And by the rod which was turned into a serpent, you shall take in your hand. And you shall say to him, the Lord God of the Hebrews has sent me to you, saying, let my people go that they may serve me in the wilderness. But indeed, until now you would not hear. Thus says the Lord, by this you shall know that I am the Lord. Behold, I will strike the waters which are in the river and with the rod that is in my hand, and they shall be turned to what? Blood. The first plague affects what? The Egyptian source of life, which was the Nile. They worship the Nile. You know, when I went to India a few years ago, when you walk by the Ganges, which is like the Nile would be to Egypt, the Ganges is to India, you walk by there. Major source of water. But it's worshipped. You see idols that are there. In fact, the people believe it's so holy that they dump their ashes, my father's ashes. When a Hindu dies, they dump the ashes in the Ganges. Hindus believe that once in your lifetime, you need to go to the Ganges to take a bath. And it's a type of purification. But you know what's so interesting? i got to tell you this story. It's kind of disgusting, but I'm going to tell you guys anyways. So when I went there, the teacher was telling me an inst- a story that he had when he went to the Ganges River. That he was talking to one of the Hindus that were worshipping there. And they were on a boat, and they were just taking a tour through the Ganges. And they told him, this river is so holy. It is so holy. And the teacher, who I was, was talk- telling me this, said, you know, and I said, well, how do you guys know it's holy? They said, we'll show you how much we believe this is holy. And what happened was, as they were on this boat, a dead cow was floating nearby. They pull up right next to this cow. And they get their hands and they start drinking the water right next to the cow to show how much they believe this water was holy. But folks, God attacks the Nile. He attacks the Nile. And when he attacks it, he shows that this is under his control. And so as Aaron spreads out his rod, all of a sudden the entire Nile turns to what? Blood. And you can just imagine it. You want to know what's so interesting about this? This was the very first plague. Do you know what the last plague was? The death of who? The death of the firstborn. So the first plague was the Nile turning into what? Blood. And the last one was what? The death of the firstborn. Do you know when you look at the life of Christ, when you're reading the Gospel of John, do you want to know what his first sign was? It says in John, he turned the water into what? 
Blood. Not blood. Wine. Delicious grape juice. He turned it into that. And do you know the very last thing that God did for his people? He died. God gave up his firstborn. But you know the difference? While these plagues were designed to cause destruction, when you look at the life of Christ, you see that every one of his signs that he was sending to the people were calculated to produce life. In fact, the curses came upon himself. The curses came upon Christ himself. The Bible says in Galatians, he became a what for us? A curse for us. So when you look at the life of Christ, you're seeing something so beautiful. As Moses was given this power to free the children of Israel through these signs, Jesus was given power from the Father to free the children of Israel from spiritual bondage. And it's so interesting when you're looking at the powerful parallels. But let's go on a little bit more to the second plague. The Bible talks about how Moses went before Pharaoh again because he would not give up, uh, he would not free the children of Israel. So he spreads out his rod and he says, look, there's going to be frogs everywhere. And all these frogs begin to pop out. And I think frogs are absolutely disgusting if you ask me. They're slimy. I just can't stand frogs. I can't stand rats more. But I just, frogs is just different. So frogs started popping up everywhere. Now, what's so interesting about this, you're going to see something special as we continue to develop these plagues, okay? As these frogs begin to multiply, Pharaoh's sorcerers, his little Harry Potter band, said, we can do the same. And watch what happened. Take your Bible, go to Exodus chapter 8, verse 1 and 4. Something strange takes place. There's not just a counterfeit. Something bad happens as a result of the counterfeit. Exodus chapter 8. Start with verse 1. Are we all there? Okay. Actually, verse 5, sorry. Then the Lord spoke to Moses... Say to Aaron, stretch out your hand with your rod over the streams, over the rivers, over the ponds, and cause frogs to come up from the land of Egypt. So all these frogs started popping up. Look at verse 6. So Aaron stretched out his hand over the waters of Egypt, and the frogs came up and covered the land of Egypt. Now watch verse 7, because this is kind of hilarious. And the magicians did so with their enchantments and brought up frogs upon the land of Egypt. The commentary says, it's very interesting, the Andrews Bible Study commentary says that the magicians, in their attempt to duplicate it, actually further the problem. The frog, more frogs started showing up, and they started being everywhere. Pharaoh's sleeping, he wakes up to this ribbit, ribbit right next to his face. So you can see what's happening. These magicians, in their attempt to counter or counterfeit this whole thing, instead, they end up causing further harm. More frogs begin to come up on the land. Now let's continue. I want you to see the next plague. It's very interesting. The Bible uh, tells Moses, Aaron, go back to the Pharaoh. He is not letting the children of Israel go. This time, I want you to do something. I want you to call out the lice. And so lice started showing up. And they started attacking everybody. You can imagine their hair scratching. And they're like, ah, this is so annoying. This is so annoying. But it's the fourth plague which is so important. Take your Bible, go to Exodus chapter 8. Pharaoh refuses to let go of the children of Israel. You can see when you're looking at his background and his history, he was a warrior, he was a conqueror, he would not be beaten. And he would not let God win. He was so determined that whenever he had an opportunity, he would say no. He would pray for relief, and Moses and Aaron would intercede. And then he would go back and say, nope, I'm not letting them go. And so God says, I'm going to have to send another plague. With each plague, it got worse. Take your Bible, go to Exodus chapter 8. Are we all there? Take a good look at verse 20. And the Lord said to Moses, Rise early in the morning and stand up before Pharaoh as he comes to the water. Then say to him, 
Then say to oh, excuse me, then say to him, Thus says the Lord, let my people what? Go, that they may serve me. Or else if you will not let my people go, behold, I will send swarms of flies on you and your what? Servants on your people and your houses. The houses of the Egyptians shall be full of swarms of flies, and also the ground which they stand. So all these flies begin to show up, and you can just imagine, they're just swarming. We, we have a hard time with like one or two flies. Just imagine, millions of flies were just showing up. And they're making these and you know flies carry diseases. They're carrying diseases, and all these flies are showing up, and the people are so annoyed. You, you know how difficult it is to keep a fly out of a room? It's so difficult. But all these flies are attacking Egypt. But now watch what the next verse says. Verse 22. And in that day I will set apart the land of what? Goshen. And who lived in Goshen? All the Israelites in which my people dwell. That no swarms of flies shall be there in order that you may know I am the Lord in the midst of the land. I will make a difference between my people and who? Your people. This is very interesting. Now the reason I bring this up. It was only in the beginning of the last seven plagues that the plagues were completely isolated to who? To the Egyptians. It tells you something that the previous three plagues affected who? Everybody. Remember, God was trying to take the Egyptian out of the heart of the Israelites. Now, why is that important? Do you know that the children of Israel, during these first three plagues, must have gone through a little time of trouble? Searching their own hearts? Do you know when you take a good look in the book of Revelation at the last seven plagues, do you know what takes place right before the seven plagues? A time of trouble for who? God's people. Now notice this. The beginning of this seventh plague starts off with God making a distinction. A physical distinction. And what was that distinction? What was that distinction? Where would the flies go and where would they not go? They would go not to Goshen, but they would go everywhere besides Goshen. Do you want to know what the very first plague is of the last seven plagues in the book of Revelation? A grievous sore that comes upon all those who have the mark of the beast. Why? Why does God start the first of the last seven plagues with just this nasty looking sore, sore, and just like, ah? That's exactly right. God makes a physical distinction again between those who are his people and those who are not. And so it's going to be very clear when those seven last plagues fall, the very first plague, people are going to be able to see very clearly you're before God or you're against Him. And so as we see this taking place, God begins to make a clear distinction between His people and the people of Egypt. And sure enough, everyone's attacked, being attacked by these flies and they're looking and the land of Goshen, you can just imagine the sun is just shining there, just beaming down. Everyone, they're just running and they're just so annoyed by these flies. But Pharaoh says, I'm not going to let them go still. Pharaoh is determined to win this battle. In fact, you want to know what's also it's very interesting? When you study the book of Exodus, the way that God deals with Pharaoh, it says over and over again, you'll read terms like this. And God was a mighty man of war. God conquered the Pharaoh. God went to war with the Pharaoh. When you're looking at these terms, it appears as if God, in dealing with Pharaoh, is dealing with him as a Pharaoh. He's dealing with Pharaoh as a Pharaoh. Why is that important? Because sometimes the only thing we can understand is the taste of our own medicine. Amen? And so Pharaoh gets a taste of what it's like to be conquered. But he refuses to let go. In fact, you want to know what the word Goshen means? It means to draw near. Those who draw near to God are protected by the plagues. Can you say amen to that? 
Very interesting. Let's keep going. Seventh plague is this. Take your Bible, go to Exodus chapter 9, verse 26. God tells Moses, cast out your rod again, and sure enough, hail begins to come. And it's very interesting, when you're looking at where the hail falls, or excuse me, where the plagues fall, did you know that all the plagues are not just universally over Egypt? They're not just hitting everywhere. They're hitting in different parts of Egypt. It's very important to understand that. Ellen White makes this comment where she says when the last seven plagues fall, they're not going to be complete over the world at the same time. They're going to be in various locations. Otherwise, the people of God would be discouraged. And I really believe it's going, to, it's going to be a way for God's people to be able to navigate away from danger. Very interesting. But I want you to see what God says right here. Exodus chapter 9, verse 26. Only in the land of Goshen, where the children of Israel were, there was no what? Hail. Do you know the hail destroyed everything? Every physical structure that Egypt had set up? Now let me ask you a question. Who built the structures of the Egyptians? The Hebrew slaves. Now God was destroying everything that the Egyptians had forced the Hebrews to do. Their entire architecture was being destroyed by the hail. In fact, when you read the book of Revelation, you look at the last seven plagues, you look at the seven plagues, do you want to know what the last plague is? Hail. Why? Because God is utterly destroying the earth. He's reducing human pride down to nothing. And what a fitting description of human heart at the very end of time. And what a better analogy than using ice. The last thing that destroys this planet and returns it back to a Genesis chapter 1 state is hail. And you can imagine the Egyptian architecture is being destroyed left and right by this hail. Everything those slaves had, they had forced the slaves to work for. God was saying, these are my people, let them go. Let them go. And this Pharaoh is so angry. He's so angry. Even his counselors are saying, let him go. The Egypt is destroyed. And he refuses to let them go. Very interesting. Let's go on to the next plague. Exodus chapter 9, verse 8. Look what God says right here. So the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, take for yourselves a handful of ashes from a what? Furnace and let Moses scatter it toward the heavens in the sight of who? Pharaoh. And it will become fine dust in all the land of Egypt, and it causes boils to break out in the sores of man and on beasts throughout the land. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm reading the wrong verse right now. I apologize for that. You guys should have stopped me. <laughs> I'm blaming you. Okay. All right. Take your Bible. Go to it's Exodus chapter 10. I apologize for that. Start with verse 3. So Moses and Aaron came into Pharaoh and said to him, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, or Hebrews, How long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? Let my people go that they may serve me, or else if you refuse to let my people go, behold, I will send or I will bring locusts into the territory, and they shall cover the faces of the earth so that no one will be able to see the earth, and they shall eat the residue of what is left, which remains to you from the hail, and they shall eat every tree which grows up for you out of the field. They shall fill your houses and the houses of your servants and the houses of the Egyptians, which neither your fathers nor your fathers fathers have seen since the day that you were they were on earth to this day. It's very interesting. The next plague brings about all these locusts. What's another word for locusts? They're a type of grasshopper, right? All these grasshopper begin to come in swarms. And by the way, when you read the Bible, do you want to know what God claims as his army? The locust. He calls his army the locust. Read about it. So the locusts begin to show up and they begin to destroy everything that hail didn't destroy. And you can imagine this was setting back the Egyptian economy for several years. 
And this is why those counselors were so angry with Pharaoh at this moment. God was calculating. He was intentional about destroying each one of these areas where Pharaoh was boasting and claiming victory over the entire world. Plague after plague begins to affect this Pharaoh. Finally, God gives another plague to Pharaoh and he says, there's going to be darkness over the entire land. And by the way, when you look at the cross, what does the Bible say was surrounding Jesus? Darkness. Darkness was over the land, it says. Darkness is everywhere. This was an attack on Pharaoh's worship, his main form of worship, which was the sun god, Ra. God was saying, your God has no power. And so you can imagine Pharaoh's going crazy at this moment, but he is holding on. He refuses to let the children of Israel go. What's so important, more than even Egypt, is his pride. Is his pride. He does not want them to be released. And so... As this begins to take place, God tells Moses, you tell them, I will bring one more plague and then he will let you go. And it was the plague or the death of the firstborn son. And sure enough, this plague fell upon the Egyptians. The Bible says they cried out. There was a great cry. They begin to cry out. Think about that when you're reading the book of Exodus in the very beginning. What does the Bible say about the children of Israel? What are they doing to God? Crying out. When you read the very beginning, what's, the, what's Tutmos the first doing with all the babies? All the male childs, what's he doing with them? He's killing them. The same things are happening back to Egypt now. And now they're firstborn. They get up in midnight. The Bible says there was a great cry. They get up and all the firstborn are dead. And a cry comes out and they're like, just leave, leave, get away. But it was so interesting God told the Israelites, just because you're in the land of Goshen does not mean you'll have protection. It does not mean you have protection this time. You have to do something very special. And God gives the command to the children of Israel that they were to take the blood of a, a lamb and they were to, they were to paint the, blood, the post and lintel of the entrance of their what? House. Of their house. Do you remember what God told Moses in the very beginning? You're not going to go there until your house is right. And again, God gives a command to the children of Israel. Put it on the post and lintels, and the angel of, the death will, angel of death will come by. And sure enough, the angel of death came by. He went into Goshen too. And he would look, and if there was blood on the post and lintel, he would pass by. God told the children of Israel, this is going to be a very special feast. It will be the feast of Passover when the angel of death passed over you. Folks, this was, to be this was to be memorialized in their hearts, in their minds. And the reason why this is so important for us, folks, is because Jesus' blood covers us. Can you say amen to that? God has given his firstborn for us. For God so loved the world that he what? Gave his only what? Begotten son. God has given us his blood, his precious blood. In fact, when you look into the sanctuary, the main part of the sanctuary, the most holy place, when you look in actually the, the most holiest part, you'll find three pieces of furniture. The, the rod. Do you know why the rod was put in? The Bible says because it was to be a sign against us. Do you want to know why the pot of manna was put in? The Bible says because it was to be a sign against us. Do you want to know why the law was put in? Because it was to be a sign that was against us for all our follies, all our mistakes. Yet with all these things that were against us, all the signs that were against us, the Bible says there was a mercy seat above it. 
Can you say amen to that? There was a mercy seat. Next week, we're going to continue with this series, but folks, I want you to understand something, and that is so important for us to understand. The end of time, the Bible describes in Revelation chapter 20, after the thousand years, the children of Israel are there, the, those who have followed the Lord, they're inside the gates of the New Jerusalem. And the wicked, the Bible says, are like the sand of the sea surrounding it. And they try to take by force what God has been offering freely today. It is the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. No one should have to leave from this church building today feeling they're lost. No one should have to leave feeling they are are separated from God. Every person here, every person here has been given the provision of Christ's blood. And folks, it's extremely important, like never before, to make sure we are covered in the blood of Jesus. This world is getting a lot worse. It's not going to get brighter. It's getting worse, and it's getting more deceitful. And only those who have accepted Christ's righteousness, not just for them, but in them, will make it through. Folks, I want us to pray right now. And just take a moment. Between you and the Lord, make sure that the blood of the Lamb is not just covering you, but your whole household as well. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you so much, Lord, for calling us out of Babylon and for preparing us for a mass exodus, Lord, where we leave this dark planet to be with you. But God, I know that you have to first free us from the Egypt that's within our heart. Lord, we just pray and ask that the precious blood of Jesus would cover us But not just us, Lord, but our family too, please. You said, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you and your family shall be saved. Lord, you told Moses from the very beginning that his family needed to be right. Nothing should be neglected. At the very end, Lord, you gave families an opportunity to be saved. Father in heaven, we just pray for our families that you would save them, Lord. Not one would be lost. And God... Please give us opportunities to minister to them and not neglect something that should be done with them. Thank you, Jesus. Please bless the rest of the Sabbath. In your holy name we pray. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.